Switching to Shopify helps you sell smarter at every stage of your business. Take full control of your brand with your own custom online store. Wow, looks amazing. Find more customers with our easy-to-use marketing tools. Piece of cake. And let the best converting checkout on the planet do its thing. Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Switch to Shopify today for a $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along. John Paul's taking calls at 0818 103 103 and you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 and already getting texts and WhatsApps in saying, did your man Michael from Black Rock get sorted out? Did somebody come forward to help him to take his title deeds to Lanzarote? Well, I'm delighted to say Michael from Black Rock is on the line again. Good morning to you, Michael. <laughs> and, I, and I'm told you did get sorted. We have a very kind lady by the name of Mary who's flying to Lanzarote today. Correct. That's right. Now, um, a bit of a hiccup though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that on my side, no, I might add. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, John Paul gave me numbers yesterday and I, the first one I rang uh, was Mary and she was she knew exactly the location and she knows exactly where the Smiths are and everything else. So we agreed to meet today around lunchtime and um, she was dropping her car to her nephew's house and he was dropping her to the airport. So about eight o'clock or half seven last night she rang me to say that they uh, actually uh, got the timing wrong and half one they were flying out today, not half a three. So that means she needs to be at the airport at 11.30. So I asked her how she was getting to the airport and she said she was still going to her nephew's house, dropping her car and getting a taxi. So I'm going to do the taxi work. Uh, She's going to do the courier work. Ah, uh, well done. One good turn <laughs> deserves another. So you're now, you're now going to drive to the nephew's house, pick up Mary and drop her to the airport. Yes, yes. With, with, yes. with, with the title deeds all inside in the envelope all ready to go. All ready to go, exactly, yeah. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And it's great. She yeah. know, and she'll drop them to the solicitor's office for you. Exactly. She knows exactly where it is because um, she was in the adjoining uh, premises the last time she was over. She's a regular visitor. Brilliant. To Lanzarote, you know? Brilliant. People are really good. People, So you're sorted. That's the main thing. Fantastic. Well, yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of people were already on this morning. Did, did Michael get sorted? He did. And listen, wish Mary bon voyage and hope she has a lovely holiday. Okay. Thanks. And, she's not go- and looking at the forecast, she's not going to miss any She's not. By God, she's not. No, she's not yeah. indeed. We we've got a wet and, and a cold one for the next few days. All right, exactly, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for that. Patricia, just, just a thousand thanks. No. Nope. And uh, a big thank you to, to uh, John Paul as well. Our pleasure. Anyway.
Our pleasure. Glad we could help you, Michael. Take care. Okay. Take care. And indeed, uh, thanks to, there was a number of people contacted us uh, to say that they were going or they knew somebody was going, but we knew uh, that Michael, we left, the, we passed on a couple of numbers and we said once he was sorted, we didn't need to for him to be ringing everybody else. So well done. And thank you to people who were kind enough uh, to jump in. And, and I did mention that yesterday. We, I think, we're, we're, it's an Irish thing, but I think it's very much a Cork thing. If we can help out anybody in any way we can, we, you know, we're more than willing to get stuck in there and help out. So uh, well done. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. The issue of homework is back in the papers today and we discussed this a number of weeks ago and the reason we discussed it a number of weeks ago was that the President Michael D. Higgins kind of kicked off the debate around homework and he felt, it was back in January he said it, he felt that a ban on homework should be considered by the Department of education and that kind of started a debate and I know we we spoke about it here in the programme and we kind of had a mixed reaction. We had a lot of people who were absolutely, a lot of parents dead against homework felt their children got way too much homework and then of course we had the commentary coming in saying well it depends on the individual teacher you can have a teacher who really likes to give a lot of homework and then you've got other teachers who know give just the right amount of homework and then you'd parents contacting us who like the idea of homework, think it's good for their children and then there was one or two who pointed out that over the years they had a child who had not quite a learning disability but were falling behind on a particular subject and because they were in a large class it wasn't really getting picked up in the classroom and it was only because of mam or dad helping them with the homework at home that the parent discovered that their son or daughter was struggling and then were able to flag it up with the school so there was like for and against uh, homework. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? But because Michael D. Higgins went public with that suggestion back in January, it seemingly has led to a flurry of letters being sent in to the Education Minister, Norma uh, Foley. And a number of these letters now have been released under freedom of the, under the Freedom of Information Act. And uh, Ken Fox is writing about it in the Irish Daily Mail uh, today. Now, Norma Foley has refused to entertain the idea of scrapping homework saying that it's not within the remit of her department and um, but but as, as I said Michael D. Higgins comments were welcomed by a lot of school children and by a lot of their parents obviously the school children that wel- welcomed Michael D. Higgins intervention they were the ones who decided to write to the minister one pupil for example wrote to Minister Norma Foley pleading if you don't want to listen to me then listen to our president. Children told the Minister about how they were being forced to give up hobbies because they're literally given so much work to do after school. Now Norma Foley said it would be inappropriate for her to get into a debate with the President about policy matters but she did say that homework was an issue for schools to deal with and that each school could set their own criteria on the matter and a similar response uh, was obviously to anybody who took the time to write to the minister as well. So she's basically passing the book saying, look, nothing to do with me here. This is up to individual schools. So if an individual school wants to decide to ban homework, then they are well within their remit to do it. The Department of Education, for example, they say that the homework policy Again, not within their powers. The department doesn't issue direct guidelines relating to homework being given in schools. It's a matter, they say, for each school 
at local level to arrive at its own homework policy. And in keeping with good practice, the process of drafting up any kind of a homework policy should involve everyone. It should involve the teachers. They say it should involve the parents and it should involve the students. However, the Department of Education does acknowledge that homework can play an important part in helping pupils prepare for forthcoming classwork. And of course, obviously, it reinforces what they've already learned in class that day. Now, Social Democrats Education spokesperson Jerry Gannon, he's rowing in on this and he's speaking yesterday. He says that compulsory homework, he feels that's outdated. He said children should be encouraged to find a love in learning to read books that they enjoy, to be inquisitive in their time after school. But he said placing demands on them for route based learning and by extension, scolding them when they don't meet a particular standard. He feels that's ineffective and it's proven to just fail many children every single year. He thinks it's time to move on from this idea of homework. Now, some of the letters from the the children, one school child wrote about how seven hours a day in school was plenty of education and that more work on top of that was simply unnecessary. This pupil says, I don't ask for homework uh, to be banned, but for it to be reduced to a certain limit. Otherwise, if there is a constant build-up of homework daily, it can cause stress. It can even lead to lack of exercise, which will then affect a person's well-being. Another child said they felt homework was a waste of time and a ban should be introduced. They said, kids should be doing more creative things with their free time after school. Many kids have had to stop doing hobbies uh, that they had done before, but they can't now because they have too much homework. One handwritten letter, which was decorated with a Minnie Mouse bow, said homework was annoying for teachers and for pupils. And this pupil said, I play soccer and I love writing stories, but because of homework, I have no time for doing either of those things. For teachers, it gives them more copies to correct and then they have to go through the trouble of deciding what homework to give. Now, a secondary school pupil said that if sleeping isn't for school, then work shouldn't be for home. They explained how they do between one and two hours homework every evening after school. Sometimes it's even more. When they're finished, they would barely have any time left to relax before it's time to go to bed, get some sleep and then get up the next morning and start all over again. One young student said they were left with no time to help their parents. Well done. Or to learn how to do domestic chores like cooking or any other activities. They said we do activities like swimming, dance and all other sports. It's hard work, it's stressful and all of this homework is unfair. And a single parent who wrote in to explain to the Department of Education how homework affects them uh, spoke about how one of their children was getting two hours of written homework every single day. She said we need time to teach them life skills, teach them things like sewing, cooking, how to work the washing machine etc. These This amount of time that's spent on schoolwork is very hard for pupils with zero time left then in the evening. So that row continues, but very much writing to the Minister for Education is of no use. It's not within her remit and the Department of Education coming out and saying uh, as well, the homework policy, uh, nothing to do with them. It's not within their powers. It's up to individual schools. 0818 103 103. Your thoughts welcomed. You can text or WhatsApp to 086 2 
103 103. C103, we're very proud to be supporting the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day. And Daffodil Day is happening on the 24th of March. And actually, a little bit later on in the programme, we'll have somebody from the Irish Cancer Society joining us to talk about Daffodil Day this year and why Daffodil Day. I think of all of the Daffodil Days there has been, this one is so, so important because unfortunately there has been a number of miss cancers because of the pandemic, people not uh, able to access hospitals, people not getting to appointments, etc. And unfortunately now the knock-on effect is that more and more people are going to be diagnosed with cancer and because there's been delays with diagnosis because of the pandemic some of those are going to be diagnosed later into the disease and obviously the services then of the Irish Cancer Society are really going to uh, kick in. Daffodil pins are available from any of the Daffodil Day volunteers and we have many of those across Cork City and County and all the money raised on Daffodil Day helped to fund free cancer support services and life-changing cancer research. If you'd like to take part, if you'd like to donate, if you'd like to help out in any way, you can get on to cancer.ie. But as I say, a little bit later on in the programme today, we will speak with the Irish Cancer Society about this year's Daffodil Day uh, on March the 24th. OK, last uh, weekend, the uh, Sunday Times ran an article uh, condemning eye-watering price gorging by the hospitality industry. And it was ahead of this week's St. Patrick's Day celebrations, with some Dublin hotels charging, would you believe, up to 2000 €400 for a single room in Dublin. West Cork uh, Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan is a member of the Oireachtas Tourism Committee and uh, he joins me this morning. Uh, Good morning to you Christopher. Hey Patricia. Um, Our apologies, we're having a bit of problem with the line I know so I I, I hope that you're uh, okay. Uh, Anyway, we'll we'll press on and see if we, because you're you're certainly perfectly clear here. Okay, these uh, prices that have been charged for some of the hotels in Dublin, isn't it only right and proper to point out that these excessive prices are mainly just in Dublin hotels? It is, it is and it's it's, um, incredibly discouraging and, and disappointing Patricia to see this happening again um, you know, it, to me, it's a kick in the teeth to, to uh, the Irish public who are paying these prices uh, in some instances. It's a, a kick in the teeth to uh, the, the rest of the Irish hotel sector who, um, you know, don't price goes, they don't charge or overcharge like this happening in Dublin. But also, if you've heard in the phrase, I, I really think it's up yours to uh, Minister Michael McGrath, who in really good faith um, extended the 9% VAT rate for hospitality, um, you know, we down here in West Cork, the Irish hospitality sector and the Irish hotel sector, we met with Michael McGrath. We made an excellent case for extending the 9% VAT rate because of uh, the importance of it to the sector down here. And then when you have Dublin hotels coming along just a few short weekends later, charging between 1500 and uh, 2400 as you just said, for one night in a hotel in Dublin, in some instances, you know, three-star hotels, you know, not even uh, luxury five-star hotels, then it's it's really it's it, it's a punch in the stomach and uh, you know just speaking to um, just off the phone with some of the Irish hotel sector just in in response to this um, and what's happening this weekend uh, they're so they're so gutted because it means once again they have to go out and they have to fight their case they have to um, they they have to present their case to to the minister in terms of the nine percent VAT rate but it's really difficult to do so when when these prices are being charged so um, yeah very much it's the Dublin issue I did a quick. Uh, search over the last couple of days for hotel prices in West Cork this weekend. I'm guilty 
Uh, for example, we have the rally this weekend. Obviously, we have Patrick's weekend as well. Um, we've got Mother's Day, so there's huge demand for hotels in, in, in the Clannacilty area, but just as, a, as, a, as an example. But they're not partaking in these huge price hikes. It, this, the, the prices, for example, in some of the hotels in Clannacilty will be the same price next weekend. So it's very much uh, something that's happening in Dublin, and it has to stop. Something has to happen to, to prevent this from happening in the future. Yeah, well, I saw, for example, uh, when this story went went live on Sunday in the Sunday Times. I saw uh, Dean O'Donovan, who I know well uh, from O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty and of course you'd know uh, Dina well, uh, Christopher as well. And like she was really taken aback by this, you know, prices that were being charged in Dublin. And she made the point that in their hotel, in O'Donovan's Hotel in Clonakilty, they set their prices back in January. Single room, 90 euro. Double room or a twin, 150 uh, euro. Price comes with breakfast. The price was set in January and festival or no festival, they're offering the same price this weekend. And that's the way it should be. There you go. Uh, and, and that's exactly the experience. That's the feedback that I'm getting on the growth, that this isn't happening in the regional parts of Ireland. Even in Kerry, where they're famous for hospitality and, and uh, hotels, etc., the same um, increase isn't happening. So, look, I've you mentioned there at the at the outset that I'm on the uh, tourism um, committee in in Dáil Éireann, and we've had the Irish Hotel Federation in front of us on several occasions. And what needs to happen here is that the chief executive Tim Finn, we've asked him repeatedly that he goes back to his double members, his double base members in particular, and he pleads and requests that this doesn't happen because, very simply, it is having a huge reputational damage um, on the hospitality and tourism sector here in Ireland. We're being considered, um, and the message is getting out internationally, that we're an expensive place to come and stay. Uh, In fact, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, For example, there's a recent study that shows that in Paris, for example, the hotel prices have increased by 36% over the last uh, three-year period. The situation in Dublin, uh, which is our capital today, it's 18%. So, in, in reality, uh, in, in right across the board, these huge increases in hotel prices aren't happening in the most cases. It's that small percentage who mainly, I must point out, are internationally owned group hotels who, I suppose, aren't those family-run hotels who rely on repeat customers and people coming back and that family touch that we're so famous for here in Ireland. It's internationally owned hotels who don't seem to care really about the reputational damage that it's doing, but it is having reputational damage and my fear is that if it continues that it's the likes of Dina who you spoke about there or Donovan's Hotel in Clannacilty it's these um, uh, family owned family run uh, West Cork hotels that are going to suffer with the mm. reputation damage and, and it's to, it's to get the message out as well that you know Ireland isn't all about Dublin and that there is good value to be had by moving out from the capital well I, I think Outside of house prices, Patricia, I think any tourist who visits Ireland who's lucky enough to get out of Dublin, and that's, you know, I'm not being disparaging towards our capital city. I absolutely love and I'm very proud of our capital city and what it has to offer. But any tourism who's lucky, any tourist who visits Ireland who's lucky enough to get away from uh, the Guinness Visitor Centre or perhaps um, visiting, you know, the, the, the museums in Dublin, who's lucky enough to visit the west of Ireland, who's lucky enough to get to Galway, to get to Kerry, to go to the Skelligs or of course, to come to West Cork and, and uh, is lucky enough to experience what Mizzenhead is like or what Ireland uh, life is like on Cape Clear or um, what our small, beautiful towns like Clannacilty and Skibbereen, uh, Kinsale and Bantry have to offer. I think they're they're the luckiest tourists who get to visit Ireland because they experience true, really what Ireland is about. But furthermore, they get 
the the value for money uh, that is out there in these regional areas. I mean, look, uh, you know, th- there's no point in um, lying to ourselves either. Ireland is an expensive country, um, and and that that's proven time and time again. But there is value for money to be had in the regional parts of Ireland, and there's just so much an offer from a tourism perspective. And I would I would urge any uh, listeners, and I know uh, most of your listeners are Cork based, uh, Patricia, but certainly to, to get that word out there that there's so much an offer here in County Cork in terms of uh, tourism offerings. Yeah, yeah. And so but, but with hotels still housing uh, refugees, Christopher, are you concerned about availability for beds for tourists in the summer season? Yeah, clearly it's something that has to be addressed. Um, there is effort to be made to address this in that there's an enhanced scheme there for uh, those with uh, vacant holiday homes or vacant properties that they can go to the local authority and get an enhanced payment uh, for housing um, uh, refugees and asylum seekers. And the whole, I suppose, idea behind that is that you, you take people out of um, hotel accommodation, which you know is great for a weekend, but when you're spending months on end in hotels, it's not a nice place to be, but get them into actual houses and, and, and into homes. But the other part of that, of course, then is to free up um, hospitality and hotel accommodation. Luckily, in West Cork, while I'm not saying that it's not an issue, it doesn't seem to be having as big an impact as in the likes of, for example, of uh, what we're hearing is happening in the likes of Killarney. Uh, but it's certainly a, an issue and certainly the go- something the government is really going to have to address, particularly over the next few weeks and months as we lead into the busy tourism sector, because we need as much um, uh, the tourist accommodation as available as possible so that tourists can obviously come, stay and enjoy this uh, fantastic part of the world. Yeah, because then the knock-on effect if you don't have as many tourist beds available because refugees or asylum seekers are staying in the local hotels, the knock-on effect are, you know, the likes of the surf schools in Killarney to be the jaunting cars, the cafes, who all make their business out of the tourists who come. They all get affected. They do get affected, but I think it comes back to this pricing thing as well. Despite that, and despite the fact that um, our efforts to house people who are fleeing more are, is having an impact in terms of uh, tourist room availability, still the West Cork-based hotels and accommodation providers are resisting that urge to increase prices, despite the, the impact that it's having on availability. Um, as I said, we have the West Cork rally here in, in Clannacilty this weekend. People are going to come from Wales, UK, um, Donegal, right across Ireland to come stay in this area. Accommodation is certainly at a premium. Um, I think our efforts to host um, refugees and asylum seekers is certainly, uh, it means that we don't have as much accommodation as possible, but every effort has been made in this area to free up accommodation. Um, but certainly that's something that we, we really need to, to tackle and get a hold of over the next couple of months because, you know, hospitality is the biggest employer in regional Ireland. It's the biggest employer in West Cork. We need it um, in order to, to survive. So it's really important that we, uh, at all costs, protect it. And just something else that is coming uh, down the line, but I think that, that the hospitality is very aware of and we need to be very careful of. Um, and obviously, we know that there's uh, an issue with housing at the moment, housing availability, availability of rental accommodation, and not just accommodation for asylum seekers, but accommodation for people who are living uh, in West Cork as well. And one of the things that uh, we're doing to try and free up rental accommodation is create this Fall to Ireland um, short-term letting register, um, which is welcome. And I think even the hospitality sector welcomed that. But there's a great fear that because of the planning permission requirements associated with this, that a lot of those, um, I suppose, short-term lets out there, that maybe someone who has a granny flat that they eventually converted into 
accommodation. The Airbnbs. The Airbnbs and but just, you know, people who have uh, these self-catering accommodations, yeah. not necessarily Airbnbs, but a lot of these now will have to apply for planning permission in order to be allowed on this register. And that is going to cause big problems. So what I've called for is that we introduce um, some uh, the planning legislation along with this register so that none of these, I mean, you can imagine this type of accommodation we're talking about. It might be granny down a country lane uh, that won't be able to get planning permission because the country lane is deemed to be some type of health and safety risk, that's going to be a big issue. So it's something that we have to, uh, we have to be very careful not to take a whole swathe of short-term letting accommodation um, out of the market and therefore put further pressure on the hospitality sector. So it's something I'm very aware of. And uh, in my work on the, on the um, tourism committee in Doyle Air, I'm, I'm ensure that there isn't a big negative impact. On okay. okay, we'll keep a close eye on that. So a busy we- weekend ahead in, in Clan and the wider West Cork area. A big, big weekend. Ever. I'm going to try fit in about five uh, parades on Friday. It'll be a new record for me, but it's really, I absolutely love getting out and about and to the different villages and see the, the different ways that each village has this unique way of celebrating uh, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, it's, it's one of my favourite days of the year, without a doubt. Okay, and let's hope the sun shines on everyone, especially for those parades. Listen, Christopher, thank you for that. Thank and you. Uh, thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil, West Cork Law Deputy, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. 0818 boxes is taking place across the country according to an industry body set up to fight copyright infringement. To find out more about this, Rob Hartnett, who's Chief Executive of Sport for Business, joins me. Good morning to you, Rob. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. I suppose for those who perhaps don't know about this illegal or these illegal streaming networks, can you explain what these dodgy boxes are? Sure, I can indeed. The The world of TV as we know it has changed immeasurably over the last decade or so. And nowhere has this been seen more clearly, I guess, than in sport, uh, where all of the big events, or a lot of them these days, are behind a paywall so that you pay your subscription to Sky Sports or to BT Sport or to Premier Sports or to DAZN or to any number of, uh, of different services, as well as the ones that are provided by the sporting bodies. And what the dodgy boxes have uh, have have done is they have tried to circumvent that so that they will try to provide you with uh, either a scraped stream or a, a version of the service which is being offered by those services but one that you're not paying any more than actually buying the box for so that is uh, is something which has taken hold it's piracy basically and the uh, you know the the advance of streaming has been such that it has become now uh, a much more, um, I guess, a, a dangerous position because it's not just buying a box to to basically steal uh, the the pictures that are coming through, but the, the the streaming services, which means that you can now see it on your computer, on your mobile phone, or anything like that. There's always the danger that some of the advertising which pays for that service is going to be uh, something that you wouldn't necessarily want to have on your device. Have we any idea on how common they are? Are there many of these dodgy boxes around the country? 
it's difficult. I think everybody knows somebody yeah. that knows somebody that has one. Uh, nobody in good company, at least anyway, is perhaps willing to admit that they themselves have one. I certainly don't, and I'm sure you don't. I either. don't. Um, the, you know, the, the, the thing that it is, is that there's, there's an old saying that if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. And sometimes these streaming services, which are, uh, you know, which are all over the Internet, so that if you searched for particularly a big boxing fight or a big football match or something like that, most of the social media streams will be jammed full of advertising, trying to get you to click a link to go to this and watch it for free. It's going to be paid for by advertising. The advertising can come from uh, different sectors. Some of them uh, would be criminally based. Some of them would be pornography based. Again, exactly the kind of thing that you really do not want to be downloading onto your device. Mm. And where do people buy them? Well, again, it comes down to somebody knowing somebody who knows somebody and uh, and buying if it's a box out of the uh, out of the boot of a car or the back of a van, probably. Uh, but it's become much more an online service now, so that it is exactly that. It's the it's the free streaming service of you know Manchester City versus Manchester United, or of Anthony Joshua against uh, somebody else, or of Katie Taylor, and the you know the. The, the, the crackdown at the moment is is coming primarily out of the UK because it's being driven by a lot of the sports rights holders and the media broadcasters over there. But they have targeted 12 counties in Ireland where they believe that they've got access more to it. Now, the chances are that the crackdown is not going to land on your front door if you're, uh, if you're using these services. It's much more likely that it will come and land on the people that are actually providing them. So, um, you know, I, I, we don't know the technology that it is is undoubtedly there but that would all be wrapped up in terms of gdpr and privacy and things like that so there's nobody going to be sitting in an office in london looking at exactly what you're streaming onto your phone and deciding oh that's illegal well we'll go and grab yeah we'll go yeah. and grab them um you know so it's it's difficult to you know to put a, a, an exact finger on how it's going to you know to come through but the the reality is that you know sport these days is driven primarily by media rights uh you know we all love katie taylor katie taylor's primary revenue stream is coming through the the fact that people will pay to see her box on the television if you're paying for a dodgy free stream to watch that then she loses the broadcaster loses and uh, ultimately you might lose yourself if you just inadvertently click on one of those ads yeah I, I think that's important what you've touched on there and something that maybe people haven't thought about for householders who do have one of these uh, dodgy boxes they are at more of risk of scams they are undoubtedly um that was a, a part of the you know the 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 crackdown and the story that pushes out it's it's trying to change people's behavior so that uh, you know so that we don't think it's all right like you know we're living in ireland we've always had that kind of concept that sure look if you can get something for free and it's only that this big corporation that you're actually depriving money of sure that'll be grand but it's actually not um you know it costs in a number of different ways and I think that focus on the danger of what might happen to you in terms of scams, like we know that scams have become so much more sophisticated these days that uh, that if they get something onto your phone, your phone now is the key to, you know, pretty much all of your uh, financial and, mm. you know, and, and, and private world. So, you know, would you invite somebody into your home that you didn't know, that you didn't trust, that you didn't particularly uh, like? Well, probably not. But that's what you're doing if you're clicking on the links in, uh, in in your phone to watch an event that you think, oh, that'd be great to see that for free.
But I suppose, Rob, with our current cost of living crisis, I'm assuming you can understand why people go for this cheaper, freer option. Oh, I can indeed. Like, you know, if you were to if you were to pay to watch every available live sports stream, you would be looking at hundreds, if not more, uh, going out every month. And people can't afford that. What the companies themselves have done now, and we'd work with, with a number of them, including Sky, is that they've developed different products. So that in years gone by, if you wanted to subscribe to Sky Sports, you might only want to watch, you know, sort of a half a dozen football matches, a couple of golf tournaments, and maybe a Formula One Grand Prix, but you were locked in for the whole year. Nowadays, you can go in through uh, you know different services that they have like now tv and you can pay a tenor to watch all of the sport that they've got on there for 24 hours so you can pick and choose you're not locked into a contract and that makes it a little bit easier and um, it is still paid for though and if it's a choice between you know having to pay the rent having to pay for the food or having to pay to watch uh, a sporting event then it's probably best that you actually go out onto the side of a pitch and watch some of the local amateur sport which can be just as entertaining as the big boys 100%. 100%. And before we let you go, tell me a little bit about your, your company, Sport for Business. Uh, we are 12 years old now. Uh, it feels like the blink of an eye. <laughs> I, I used to work in the sponsorship world, ironically enough, at a company called The Tote in England who sponsored the Cheltenham Gold Cup. So this week is particularly uh, special for, uh, for me in my past. And I set it up so that we could provide a link between businesses that are interested in sport and the sporting bodies themselves. Now, we've got over 250 members, uh, you know, ranging from, as I said, from Sky and from KPMG to RTE uh, to all of the big sponsors like Vodafone and, uh, you know, and everybody else who's involved in sport. We publish a daily news bulletin and we get involved wherever sport and business cross over. We run a lot of big events, including we've run some uh, some nice events down in Cork as well. Parky Quiva members, Cork GAA, Sports Direct, who sponsor, uh, who sponsor the games down there. Um, and uh, it's great fun. I get to wake up every morning and think, talk and write about sport. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy out. And you've obviously had a, a busy few days with the whole, with the whole Gary Lineker story. Uh, there's been a lot going on, all right. Yeah. Uh, Gary Lineker, new identity for the FAI, small matter of Ireland heading for the Grand Slam and, of course, Cheltenham the next three days. Yeah. It never stops. It does, it does not. Listen, Rob, I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Uh, it's a busy, busy few days uh, for sporting fans, for sure. Now, on the dodgy boxes that uh, Rob Hartnett was talking to us about. Uh, hey, Patricia, uh, this is from Tom. Just on dodgy TV streaming uh, boxes and where you can buy them. Well, there's a fella in a North Cork town who supplies and fits them, but he's as dodgy as the boxes, as we have found. I'll give you his number if you want to give him a ring and see what he provides. No, you're fine. <laughs> Absolutely fine, Tom. Thank you for that. And then someone else says, sorry now about this talking about dodgy TV boxes and the fact that nobody pays for them that's wrong we do pay for them and it's a lot cheaper than either Air or Sky yeah but they're illegal that was the whole point of the interview and there's a crackdown now on them and there's a number of counties that have been identified for this uh, crackdown Um, Dublin Kildare Wexford Wicklow Meath Limerick Kilkenny Offaly Tipperary Mayo Donegal and our good selves here in uh, Cork now as Rob was pointing out it's it's unlikely that if you have one of these boxes you're going to get a, not, a knock on the door it's more the person who's providing them is who they're actually going to target 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 
103. Can I give a shout out to a coffee morning that's happening tomorrow morning? It's in Ballancolic Garda Station uh, from half past ten until one o'clock. There'll be a coffee morning and it's an aid of motor neuron and the field of dreams and the field of dreams, of course, is run by the Cork Down Syndrome uh, Association. So if you're in Ballancolic tomorrow, any time in the morning, pop into the Garda Station to support their coffee morning, please. And I've been asked to mention that the AGM of Killally and Ballinrush Group Water Scheme that's in Kilworth. They're, it's going to be held in Heafy Grove meeting room uh, tonight at uh, eight. And this is run by the local Mwintinatira group. And it's the, the, the that this particular Mwintinatira group was one was the first, I'm told, that was ever founded back in 1959. And it's still going strong today and still being run by volunteers. Isn't that terrific? So if you're part of that Killali and Ballinrush group water scheme, please know your AGM is on tonight. We're always there to keep you updated and highlighted on any scams that are doing the rounds and we're always very appreciative of our listeners sending in scams uh, so that we can alert other people. Well Jackie was on to say she got a call this morning. News straight away was a scam call. It was claiming to be from the Revenue Commissioners and they were looking to arrest our Jackie for tax defaulting and it was from an 089 number so beware of that. 089 was the number that was used uh, when the number was uh, sent to Jackie's phone. So I did a quick Google search to see had the number come up uh, anywhere uh, anywhere else and it turns out that a lot of 089 numbers are used for whatever reason by scam artists when they're ringing pretending to be from either a government department or maybe from somebody like the Revenue Commissioners and last year actually the Department of Social Protection ended up having to uh, tweet out a warning to people because obviously they were getting so many calls in from people saying that they just received a call from an 08 nine number purporting to be from the Department of Social Protection. So the Department of Social Protection put out a tweet warning people that these calls are not coming from the department and uh, if a person did end up answering the calls not to give them any information at all and at the time the Department of Social Protection were notifying Gardaí about it but that was they were 089 numbers then and that was uh, last year. So it looks like the 089 numbers are back again but as I say Jackie knew straight away that it was a scam even though somebody at the end of the phone line was threatening to a risk Thanks for sharing that with us, uh, Jackie, by WhatsApp to 086 103. We spoke in the last hour with uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. Now, it was, we were initially talking about the price gorging that's been going on for hotel rooms in uh, Dublin. And particularly on very busy, busy weekends, like this weekend, obviously it's St. Patrick's weekend and we've got the rugby match uh, going on. So, you know, hotel uh, rooms are booked out well in advance and then there'll be a handful of rooms that are left and when it when it comes down to that handful of rooms that's when the prices just go off the Richter scale and there's really no justification of how a hotel room can be charged at €2,400 just because it's the last room uh, left. It, it really is just ludicrous and it's just giving the country such a bad image particularly for overseas uh, tourists not to mind local our own staycationers wouldn't go anywhere were near uh, paying a price like that for one night in a hotel room uh, and that then led to the whole discussion around how you can get good value outside of uh, Dublin now listen you can also get good value in Dublin particularly if you book I think well in advance but a listener says ah please now 
were jumping on the bandwagon moaning when Dublin were are overcharging. Uh, Dublin, says this texter, we're always overcharging. Also hotels in Cork and Kerry overcharged after the pandemic. They took full advantage of people not being able to travel abroad. I always said the wheel would turn. I will never again support an Irish hotel as soon as the pandemic end it, they jumped in on the easy government numbers, the contracts taking in uh, refugees. And that's, that is a little bit unfair if those hotels didn't offer to open their doors and take those contracts from the government. Where would all of the Ukrainian refugees have uh, stayed? But just on the whole issue of the number of hotel rooms, and it was one of the issues that I touched on with uh, Christopher O'Sullivan, as you know, this weekend, St. Patrick's weekend, it's normally the start of our tourism season and it kind of slowly builds up and then we'll get into the summer months and hopefully there'll be a lot of overseas uh, tourists and people deciding to do staycationing as well. But are we going to have a major problem this year in that will there be enough hotel rooms and B&Bs and guest houses because of the number of hotels that are contracted to the uh, government. Now, I know at the end of last year, 24% of all beds in the country were contracted uh, to the government. So that's 24%. Now, that's not to say that all of those will remain on government contracts because a lot of those contracts are running out at the end of this month. And we know that a lot of hotels have already contacted the government to say, no, they're not going to renew the contract. They're going to go back into the tourism uh, industry. But when you dig down into those figures, a tourism area like Donegal, now Christopher was saying they don't seem to have the situation, thankfully, in West Cork, that while there are some refugees and asylum seekers and homeless people staying in West Cork hotels, there isn't as many as there seems to be around the country. But I was reading um, a piece, I came across this last week in Donegal, for example, 50% of all of the beds in uh, Donegal are now taken up by contracts which are providing shelter in the main. It's to refugees uh, fleeing the war in Ukraine, but there's also asylum seekers as well. And it's the highest figure uh, in the country. Now, obviously, over the winter months, that was great for the hotels in Donegal because, I mean, how many of us were driving to the hills of Donegal uh, to spend a night? They wouldn't have had a huge amount of tourists going. So it would kept keep it will keep a lot of those hotels going but the problem is going to be that as we head into the summer months and more people will like to go to the beautiful hills of Donegal they may find it's going to be very very difficult to get a hotel bed now we know also like in Kerry and in particular around Killarney 35% this was at the end of last year 35% of all beds were contracted I think after Donegal they probably had the highest number of contracted beds going to the government so there is going to to be certainly a bit of a problem as we go into the summer months if there isn't enough beds. And of course, as I made the point when I was talking with Christopher, it isn't just the hotels themselves while well, they'll have contracts with the government so they'll be okay. It's the the other services that make money from the tourists, all the other different activities that tourists take part in, the restaurants, the cafes, all of those will get affected if the tourism numbers are down. And it certainly will, will be an issue for the likes of a county like Donegal that certainly in the summer months will heavily rely on uh, the tourism uh, trade. 0818 and uh, Martin said it's that time of year again, Paddy's Day. And that's what Martin puts in his 
text and I know that some people object to St. Patrick's Day being called Paddy's Day. Anyway, Martin says we're back again. It's all to do with drinkers and drinking the day and the weekend away. Foreigners thinking they're Irish just because they live here. And then there's the parade, Patricia. Big wigs at the front of the spectators, their families and their relations. The so-called lower and lesser people pushed back at the very back, so far back that they can't see what's going on in the parade. Once again, I won't be going to my local uh, parade, the town I was born in and lived in. Well, the only thing I can say, uh, Martin, I've gone to parades over the years. And what you do is if you want to get a good spot for viewing, then you have to get out early. I don't think when you're talking about the big wigs at the front of the parade and their family and relatives, if you're there in really good time, you will get a good position in the parade. And I don't think I've ever seen a parade where people get pushed out of the way because the big wigs want to go up the front. If you just get there early and I mean, parades run through town. So there's loads of places that you can view. So please don't be put off going to your local parade and we need our local parades to be supported as well. And someone else says, Tricia, well done for you saying that Ireland is not all all about uh, Dublin. Remember, as the song goes, we're all on the one road. We are indeed. I nearly burst into song uh, for you there. And then Heidi was picking up on Christopher O'Sullivan talking about planning. Now, he was talking when he referenced planning, Heidi. He referenced the, the new planning that's coming in around Airbnbs and short term lets. But that's led, led Heidi uh, to talk about planning in general and planning when it comes to the building of um, houses. Heidi said it, uh, to be honest, it the planning in this country is not fit for purpose as there's so much red tape uh, and much of this red tape is really not needed. You would have young ones wanting to build a home on their parents' farmland where they've perhaps worked on the farm and they'll wait and wait and sometimes even after all the planning process they'll then be rejected. The planning rules need to be brought into the 20th century. Too much outdated rules uh, as as is always said, a given given little power, says Heidi. Well, you'd be delighted to hear that that's exactly what the government are doing. There is a new planning and development bill. It's in the draft stage. And it actually, the draft, the draft planning and development bill actually got, it was published in at the end of January. And this bill, when it is enacted, we're told by the government, it'll bring greater clarity consistency and certainty to how planning decisions are made and it is going to make the planning system more more coherent more user friendly for the public and for, for planning practitioners and it is not before time so where are we at with this at the moment as I say it, did, it got published at the end of January and now what's happening is they go through this pre-legislation uh, scrutin- scrutiny and that's what's happening at the moment and then once it goes through that in the coming weeks then it proceeds before the Houses of the Aractus, but it's the Draft Planning and Development Bill and it has been published. So I think a lot of people will welcome that and particularly as it, what it promises is to, to do is to give clar- clarity and certainty to how planning decisions are made because sometimes people scratch their head when they hear about a planning decision and wonder how do they ever come to that decision. 0818 103 103 lines open. C103 Jobs. Canturk Printers, they are looking for a print finisher. CVs to sales at canturkprinters.ie. In Chidani Island Lodge and Spa, they're recruiting waiting staff, hotel receptionists and hotel assistants. Part-time positions are available. Now, emails to eshepherd at inchidoniisland.com. A school caretaker is wanted. Now, it's 10 hours per week. It's in Nakraha National School. You can call 021 4866 727. 
and a part-time sales assistant is wanted from Mabel's Fashion Boutique. And Mabel's Fashion Boutique is in Bandon. You can call Mabel on 087 9945026. Or if you're passing the shop, you can drop in your CV. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, while heated debates erupted inside Dáil Éireann last week over the government's decision to lift the eviction ban at the end of this month, my next guest was outside the gates of Leinster House singing his protest song, Everyone should have a home. Martin Leahy, Cork-based musician, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Patricia. Now, now, you go to the gates of Leinster House to sing your song. You do it every week, isn't it? Yeah, I do it every week. And this week will be week 45 consecutive weeks. Um, I go there for an hour um, from 1 to 2 p.m. and sing my song um, outside. Yeah. All was on the same day? I was on the same day. I was on a Thursday, yeah. Okay, so take me back some 45 weeks ago. What prompted you to do it? Well, I guess it was um, uh, January of last year um, where there were rumblings of an eviction notice for myself and I, um, the landlord selling the property, the, the uh, kind of a, a usual, you know, a, 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 a normal story these days. And um, so uh, there was nowhere affordable for me to rent and the availability was a, an issue as well. So um, it was the first time I've kind of always rented as a musician. So it was the first time I found myself in this very, very weird position of uh, not being able to rent anywhere and having feeling like I had nowhere to go and being painted into a corner. So I wrote a song um, called Everyone Should Have a Home about the housing crisis. And then um, when I released this in about April of last year, I uh, I went up one week um, just out of a kind of sense of hopelessness and desperation and I just stood outside the doll and sang it uh, for an hour and it felt kind of empowering and it felt useful and it felt worthwhile so I kept doing it and then I started getting a lot of support on social media and stuff like that and it seemed to be it seemed to gather in momentum so yeah it always feels worthwhile to go up and do it and you you sing the one song over and over again for one hour. I do, yeah, yeah. It gets a bit weird, but okay. I guess I guess protests aren't meant to be, you know. Yeah, I didn't want yeah. to, I didn't want to, it to turn into a kind of a harmless sing song, you know. And have you a sign with you, or? Yeah, I have a sign um, that says um, "Housing Crisis," just to let everybody know what I what I'm uh, what I'm doing. There. What you're about? Do people come up and talk to you? Yeah, yeah, all the time, and um, sometimes people travel up with me, and I've met a lot of. Um, uh, TDs and stuff, all opposition, of course. Like, yeah. But uh, they've come out and joined me and supported me and stuff like that. So, yeah. And how do you go up and down the train or the bus or do you drive or? Um, air coach. I drive air to coach. the city. Yeah, I live in Bandon and I drive to the city and uh, get the air coach um, up and the air coach back. Yeah. It's incredible. It's it's incredible. I mean, you, you. I mean, th- th- this Thursday you say would be your forty fifth. Have you missed a Thursday? No. 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 Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I just endeavour to do it every Thursday. I mean, 
you know, it's just the way it worked out that I was able to do it every Thursday. So it, it feels good. Yeah. When the eviction ban came in then, did that benefit you in that? Are you still in that same house that you spoke about getting your notice to quit? Yeah, I'm still in the same house and the eviction ban uh, benefited me directly. Like, yeah, it was like a, a very um, obvious um, benefit. Like, it kicked the can down the road, but uh, of course, uh, devastated now about the lifting of it. But, um, you know, for the thousands and thousands of people that, that will be, you know, the government are knowingly putting these people into homelessness, they've, they've admitted it. It's not, you know, they've, they've openly admitted so, so do you do you know when you'll have to vacate your property? No, I'm expecting to be issued a notice um, uh, after the the eviction ban is lifted, and it will be a few months from then, I, I guess. So, and you say your landlord has explained that they're going to sell. Yeah. Now, yeah. Ha- have you any option to buy? Um, it's it's um, it's vague at the moment. Um, maybe. Um, but it, um, the that that scheme where the kind of tenants in situ yeah that, the rent yeah it, the rent to buy yeah yeah that's um, like um, I think there was like four hundred uh, properties offered or something to Dublin City or to to, to the county councils or something last year. Owner Bryn was highlighting that there during the weekend. It was something like like these things. These the point I'm making is that these structures are not in place. Holly Cairns was making that point in the doll the other day as well that they're not. Yeah, they seem great on paper, but the reality is that very yeah. few houses have been bought under those schemes, even though I have heard uh, Darrow Breen come out and say to the council they should be buying up more of these properties. Yeah, but I guess it's, it should be more solid. Um, like, this situation should be drastically changed from when, when they introduced the eviction ban, but it hasn't really drastically changed. So, basically, for me, somebody who's renting, I'm going back out into... I'd be going back out into the very same situation, if not worse, than than I was facing before, because they haven't really changed anything. I mean, Leo Varadkar was on the six one last week. He basically kind of slipped up because uh, uh, he was being asked, like, or it was being put to him that there was call for extending the eviction ban till Christmas, and he kind of scoffed at it. And his his way of um, dealing with it was to say, "Oh, well." It's ridiculous for them to call for the extension of the eviction ban because everybody knows nothing will fundamentally change. So he basically admitted that nothing will change, even though he had spent the first half of the interview trying to reassure everybody that everything had changed. Mm. So, and are you are you a single person trying to rent, Martin, or have you? Yeah, fam- you're, yeah. I'm a single person, and that's yeah, the hardest. Yeah, but I mean, in 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 fairness, I'm on my own, so it. You know, like the, the children facing into homelessness. I mean, I it's a huge problem. I mean, statistically, they talk about numbers like three thousand—I don't know, three thousand five hundred, something like that. I mean, if you were to think about that number for a second, if you were to think about ten children homeless, and then to think about a hundred children, hundreds of children, a thousand, up to three and a half thousand. It's—if you were to actually think about that figure, the figure is just thrown around, and it becomes meaningless. But if you have to think about that many people in that situation, in one of the richest countries in the world, it's absolutely catastrophic. And the effect that it has on those children to have to move into a hotel or into a B&B absolutely. and to have to live for a period of time. I mean, it's, it's well recognised. Stay there because I want to bring in uh, Paul Sheen is on the other line from uh, Cork Simon. Uh, good morning, Paul. 
Hi, Patricia. I, and I'm sure you're well aware of Martin and his song and his protest song, are you? I am indeed. Yeah. And I think it's a reflection of the despair and frustration and anxiety that so many people are, are experiencing at the moment. And, you know, to hear Martin tell his story and he is now once again facing eviction. I mean, I take it you know of many people who in the coming weeks and months are going to literally have no place to live. We do. Um, about one in three people visiting our soup run every evening is in private rented housing for the most part. All of their resources are going to keep that roof over their head. There's nothing left. Um, I'm sure we'll be seeing many of them knocking on our door, unfortunately, at the emergency shelter over the summer. Um, I saw figures from the Rental Tenancy Board um, late last week that there were 500 notices to quit issued in the third quarter of last year. Um, and I presume the majority of those will be enforced once we get to the end of the month and the moratorium is lifted. And I presume we can expect to see a fair percentage of those um, knocking on our door over the summer months. Um, and already, you know, uh, emergency accommodation in Cork is like packed to the rafters, literally packed to the rafters. There are more people in B&B and hotel rooms than there are in emergency shelters at the moment on an emergency basis. So it's very difficult to see the rationale behind lifting this moratorium um, because anything we have at our disposal we should be using to prevent people going into homelessness. Yeah, we had a listener who contacted us yesterday who had been up in the city on Saturday night and was shocked to see the number of uh, rough sleepers. Are you seeing an increase in rough sleepers, Paul? We are. We've seen an increase um, over the last few months. It's been fairly slow but steady. I mean, when the last moratorium was lifted just uh, under a year ago now, last year, um, we started to see a very slow but steady increase from around July onwards. Uh, in people coming to us uh, and that trickle you know continued right till the end of the year uh, beginning of this year to the point where we've never seen as many people as we do per night in our emergency accommodation at the moment we're you know, talking about 79 80 people a night on average and we've, we've never seen figures like that ever and that's before the this eviction man uh, kicks in and listening to Martin and the situation he finds himself in his landlord wants to sell and listen when we're um, I'm sick of people vilifying landlords this isn't always this is it's not the fault of landlords if landlords wanted to get out of the rental market for whatever reason they're quite entitled to it is their property but you know the government will say they've all of these schemes in place you know approved housing bodies can buy uh, the house the council can buy uh, buy the house but in in reality is, is that just not happening or it's just not happening at a quick enough pace? It's not happening, both. It's not happening to uh, the, the kind of extent that it needs to happen to stem the flow of people coming into homelessness and to give people an opportunity to get out of homelessness. And second, when it does happen, it is very slow. I mean, Martin put his finger on it there, I think, earlier. Uh, when, when this moratorium was put in place last October, we were expecting measures to be put in place in parallel so that they would have a chance to start kicking in uh, when the moratorium was due to be lifted at the end of this month. But as far as we can see, nothing happened. As far as we can see, when the announcement was made, a few extra measures were also announced. But it's going to take some time for those to kick in. Uh, and you'd have to question how effective they would be, particularly when you see you know, 500 notices to quit 
have already been issued in the third quarter, uh, which presumably will be enforced, you know, on the 1st of April. Um, so, you know, it was six months wasted. Really. Uh, Martin, I take it you're constantly on the lookout, are you, to try and find a property locally? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, um, a lot cost was an issue for, uh, uh, like, at the very start, it seemed that the prices were, but now there's no availability, basically. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty dire situation. Have you a plan? Um, no, I don't. I've been living uh, week to week and, you know, I'm just hoping that, um, uh, I think, like, the, um, the kind of public pressure that was put on the government before the eviction ban came in, like the raise the roof protests up in Dublin and stuff, which saw, you know, fifteen or 20,000 people come out, all that played a part and then they're not deaf to it. So they did introduce the eviction ban and because of that, it's the last thing they wanted to do, but the pressure um, was put on them. And I think that same pressure should be put on them to stop all, all these people and to stop the flow into homelessness. When they're, when they're knowingly doing this, they don't have the structures in place to deal with it. It has to be extended. No, it's not acceptable. They basically introduced this, thrown a load of sand in our eyes by saying, oh, it's all right, everything's in place. The Overadker's version of reassuring us was to say, oh, there, there'll be enough um, space in the emergency accommodation. We, we just heard it. Um, there won't. So that's a lie anyway. But it, it's terrible that this country has gotten to the point where that's a reassurance. Don't worry, we have enough emergency accommodation for the homeless. When we don't, the reality and is... And we don't, is, is the reality. Yeah, the reality is we don't. OK, listen, we'll keep in contact uh, with you, uh, Martin. Paul, as always, thank you uh, for joining us. And uh, well, I know the, uh, the gang at Cork Simon do the most amazing work. Listen, but thank you both, gentlemen, for contact, uh, talking you. to us on the programme. Good morning thank to you. That is uh, Martin Leahy, who goes to Dublin every Thursday, uh, has been doing it now. He'll be his 45th week. There's commitment to singing song. Everyone should have a home. And it's ironic, isn't it, that Martin could be finding himself without a home in the coming months and uh, of course the fantastic Paul Sheen from uh, Cork Simon joining us 0818 103 103 John Paul is taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed Cork Today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 Now at the end of next week we are hoping the country will be awash with a host of golden daffodils because Friday March the 24th is the Irish Cancer Society's National Daffodil Day To talk about the importance of this event I'm joined by uh, Sinead Gillespie of the Irish Cancer Society Good morning to you Sinead Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Because of the pandemic, Sinead, is this year's Daffodil Day more important than ever before? It really is. Um, this is our first Daffodil Day kind of back um, in a full form of Daffodil Day. So we're very excited to be back out in the streets in full force. And it's just such an important Daffodil Day to um, help us raise the funds that we need to support cancer patients and their families across the country. And of course, we know because of the pandemic, there was people missed diagnosis with cancer. Isn't that the case? There, there was just this, um, the pandemic and people not being able to make appointments and, and appointments being cancelled. Um, there are there is a concern that there are patients out there that haven't received a diagnosis yet or are receiving a diagnosis later than 
then um, they should. So um, it's really important um, for us to be able to be there for those cancer patients. Um, and it's events like Daffodil Day that help us do that. And remind us, the funds that will be generated on that day uh, from Daffodil Day, remind us where they go. Yeah, so they go to fund um, some life-changing cancer research that we fund, but also to fund our free support um, services for cancer patients and their families. So like last year alone, because of events like Daffodil Day and our other fundraisers, we were able to provide over 17,000 free drives for cancer patients to and from their treatment. Um, And then we were also able to support over 34,000 people um, through our support line um, and our daffodil centres. And our support line is an amazing service. It's um, a completely anonymous um, call line where people can reach out um, and get information on their diagnosis. They can um, find out about different services that can support them. Um, And it's even if they just need to talk about what they're going through or for family members and friends as well. So it's um, an amazing free phone service and the number is 1800 200 700. And of course, the uh, a number of families, my own included, we had a family member who availed of the night nursing uh, care. That is, that's an amazing service. It really is. Our night nurses are absolutely amazing. So they prevent, uh, sorry, they provide sorry end of life care for cancer patients in their homes, um, and it's a completely unique service in Ireland. And it's absolutely amazing for for cancer patients to be able to spend those last days at home in familiar surroundings with their loved ones as well. It really is um, one of our most kind of, um, one of our best services, definitely. Yeah, and, and, and it's free. It's, Absolutely it's, it's free. incredible that it's offered free and you can only do that because of money raised on, on Daffodil Day. That's it. Um, we uh, receive only 3% funding from the government, so we are completely reliant on our wonderful donors and our amazing fundraisers and volunteers to provide the services and support to ensure that nobody in Ireland has to face cancer alone. And Sinead, as we catch up with, unfortunately, those cancers that were missed during the pandemic, do I take it, therefore, your services will become busier than ever? That's what we are expecting, yet that we'll start to um, see an increase in the use of our services there. So it's um, so important that we can... um, you know, have events like Daffodil Day so that we can raise as much as possible so that we can be there for everyone that needs us. Okay, and as always, uh, you have the, the most amazing volunteers all over the country, don't you, people? Who Many of them have been with you for many, many years organising the events that go around Daffodil Day. We do. We have amazing volunteers. We're so lucky. Um, Daffodil Day has been running for um, 36 years now. This will be the 36th year. So we have some volunteers that have been there from, from the start or ha. from very near it. So it's absolutely phenomenal, the the, the support that they've given us over the years. Um, and they'll be out across the country on Friday and some into the weekend as well, um, holding different fundraisers, selling pins on their on their local streets. Um, and showing cancer patients and their families that they're not alone. Yeah, and I always on the day, Sinead, encourage people, you know, because everyone goes out and buys the little silk daffodil uh, pins uh, to wear them because I think it's great to see everybody out and about with this blast of colour, but it also reminds other people, oh, that's Daffodil Day because everybody, you know, it's so identifiable. That's it. It really does. It's definitely a good reminder for other people that haven't gotten their daffodils to see if they can find theirs. But also, it's just amazing, I think, for cancer patients and their families to see the support from people. Like, everyone wearing a daffodil on that day is is, is saying that there's support in cancer patients. Um, and I think that's a really meaningful thing as well. 
Okay, and if people want to find out more about Daffodil Day or if you would like to donate, you can go to the Irish Cancer Society uh, .ie. Okay, we leave it there, Sinead. Listen, the best of luck with it. I know it'll be a very busy week uh, right across next week as you lead into uh, Daffodil Day for this year. Uh, but we thank you for taking time out to talk to us this morning. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having us on, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Thanks, uh, That is uh, Sinead Gillespie of the Irish Cancer Society. And can I just say to Mary, who's contacted us, she's just got a text message in from eFlow to say her account is going to be disabled due to a failure to accept the new update and asking her to click on a link. And Mary says, I presume this is a scam. I've never received any text from eFlow before, but we do have an eFlow account for our business. But I've Googled it and there are scams going around pretending to be from eFlow. Yeah, and we've had a number of listeners, Mary, who have received that eFlow, uh, eFlow text. And actually, Mary sent on the eFlow details of where you were meant to click. So I put it in on a Google search uh, and actually came up straight away on my machine that it was a phishing and that it was a scam. Uh, but I don't know if it would be the same with everybody's phone. The whole idea with that eFlow one is to try to catch people that they'll click on it on their phones and straight in and we know I think the first person that I heard about that got caught with it when the Gardaí started to highlight it somebody got stung for something like 2,000 euro and only yesterday we had somebody who had gone through a toll paid their toll and then suddenly got this text message and was starting to think is Big Brother watching me or not but as I said no it's just an absolute complete coincidence it's like when those emails come from different banks they're just chancing their arms hoping that you do have a bank account with that particular uh, bank I mean they're just they're con artists from start to finish so yes just absolutely delete that uh, text it is a scam 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls and says where will those uh, daffodil pins be sold for the Irish Cancer Society and I guarantee you no matter where you go across Cork City County and anywhere around the country you'll see the daffodil pins on sale lots of them will be on sale outside of supermarkets many shops will have a box of them on the counter as well so I don't know where you're texting from no matter where you are you will be able to get your daffodil pin uh, for sure. Okay, let me go to the phone lines very quickly before we go to news at 12. Joe uh, joins me. Good afternoon, Joe. Hello, Patricia. Good Ca- morning. Uh, good morning to you. Car insurance on your mind. What's going on? Th- that's right. I got a, I got a renewal this morning from coverclick.ie. Okay. And that was for, for, for €514.18. Is that up or down? Oh, my God. Last year, I got the same insurance for 392 Three hundred and ninety-two, and this year, year, this year is five hundred, just over five hundred and fourteen. And did you did you have a a, a bump or a, a no? Dint I in the car? Think, no, no. I my certificate of no claims here. Nine years no claim bonus. The lot. I thought and car insurance was coming down slightly. No, no, no well, it didn't because I rang them. I rang back twice this morning, and I had a, a right go with them. So I fought it down anyway. At the end, I got it for four hundred and fifty. But it's still, still more expensive still than more, last year. Yeah. Have you changed your car? No, the same car. The same car. And um, I brought down the, even the value of the car this morning because my car's in 18 too. Yeah. And even, I said, if yeah. I, I said you're, you're, uh, you're putting down its value to 16,000. I said, I want it brought down to 12. And did that make a difference? I don't know if well, that Well, they, they brought down to, to 450. Yeah. And the, the breakdown here was that gross premium was at 1,094. My no claim bonus of 602, subtotal mm. 492, and the government levy is 25 euros. 
Yeah, but you, ha- you, you have to pay that. You won't. You you unfortunately, well. won't get away so, with to- that. Total payable is five hundred seventeen twenty. But okay, let's we'll we'll put it out there to hear to see from others when you got your car insurance in because we were told that it should be not not falling hugely. I, I'm just, but I'm we, just were, we, we were being told that that car insurance was coming oh, down. Oh, we've been told, all right, but um, it's still it's still they're still doing nothing about it. Nothing. Yeah. I'm just wondering, as Europeans. Are we entitled to get our car insured in another country? No, that's come up before and, and, and we're not, unfortunately. Now, now, car insurance companies can come in and open up in this country. Yeah, but that's you, right. Yes. But you, you can't ring up a company in France and say, will you insure me in Ireland? But a French company can come over here and, and operate uh, within this country. I know we have um, our Paul Kavanagh, our insurance expert. He's joining us next Monday on the programme. I certainly yes. will make a note of, of your call. But in the meantime, let's see, can we hear from others when your car insurance came in? And is, that's fully comprehensive, is it, that's Joe? That's fully comp, that's yeah. fully comp, yes. And you were expecting what for it to be around the same, or maybe a little bit I, even I, down? I, I thought even if they get me, if they gave it to me for the same price, I'd have been happy with it. You know, if for the same price, I, I have no problem with it. But when I saw five seventeen, five, uh, sixteen cents, I thought this is a bit much. And were they able to give you any explanation as to why? No, they just said that, that that's the price, and I said well, and I went back again, and then I spoke to a lady, and they brought down to four fifty. That was after a bit of wrangling, uh, well, was it? I, I had I had to wrangle. Well, well you done. Know? At least, you, at least you, well, you've saved. I, you've you've saved. And I would say to everybody Euro. out there, yeah. if, if you get a high insurance, just get back to them and and have a go at them. Yeah, but you're still paying over what you paid last year. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's way over. It's way over. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but you know, yeah. and you can understand if you've made a claim. You know, we all expect yeah. to pay more. Yeah. God forbid if if you've made a claim, That's or right. if you've changed the car and you've bought. You know, you went out exactly, and exactly bought yourself a lovely yeah. Porsche yeah, and it was more expensive. You'd say, oh, well, come on, I'm going to have to pay more for that. But that, like, yeah, yeah, you'd expect that. No, my car is only a small car. And, and the, the thing is, there's NCT only done there a few months. Everything is up to date. Everything. Cost you of know? cost of driving now, Joe, it's it's getting very expensive, isn't it? Like everything. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, even petrol and, and diesel. Are you petrol or diesel? I, I'm petrol. Petrol. It's, uh, yeah. It's coming down, but it's very slowly coming down. I think down. it's about 164 here in, in Kilmallow. Yeah, yeah. And it's 172 in Kilfinna. That's a big difference, isn't it? There is, yeah. yeah. You need to shop around on the petrol for sure. Yeah. All right, let's let's throw the lines open and the text message and see if others notice that when you're carrying uh, can, can I say, Patricia, dear, about the cancer thing, that I would ask everybody, please, please support it. My wife died of cancer. Did she? And uh, you don't have to wear this little, little thing on on your... That I wear it all year round. Do you? I do. Well done. Well done. They're a wonderful I wear organisation. It, I, I wear it all year round. And how long has your wife... Uh, she, she's gone just over four years now. Oh. Ah. And, she got, and she got cancer four times. Wow. What was her name? Uh, uh, Teresa. Terry, Terry was her name. She was a County Wexford woman. <laughs> we met in London. God be good to her. God be good to her. May she rest in peace. All right. Listen, Joe, th- thank you for that. OK, thanks and very much. mind yourself. Take care. Okay, take bye care. Bye, bye, bye. Uh, 0818 103 103. Car insurance, your premium, is it in? Has it gone up? Let us know. A flurry of calls and texts reacting to Joe and his car insurance uh, going up. Hi, Patricia. My insurance last year was €440. Euro. It went up to to 816, almost double. Um, I eventually
got it down to 600. My son last year paid 750. The quote he got was 880. We got his down to 650, but I ended up having to bargain for both of the quotes. No change, by the way, to either of us, neither of us penalty points and nobody had uh, claims. Car insurance definitely on the increase. Tess says, tell Joe to change to an other uh, company start get, trying to get other quotes he might get it down even uh, further thanks for that Noel says hi Patricia 370 euro was my car insurance last year 490 euro this year very same car no claims I feel like it is a scam Martin says Patricia my car insurance isn't in yet but if it comes in and it goes up then I'm telling you that'll be the end of my driving and it'll be the end of me working and Marie is in Araglen she says my car insurance went from €360 last year to €595 this year no claims no changes I didn't even need the windscreen replacement it seems insurance companies are back to the same old crack as they were, were before they were hauled in before the Oireachtas to explain what looked like a cartel that had apparently been uh, going on. Something needs to be done about it. So it does look like car insurance is on the increase and no known reason for it. I mean, are they going to come back and say it's the cost of doing business? I don't know. 0818103103. Thank you for your calls in on that. OK, I want to go to, if I can find it here, to the... Uh, where's it gone to the phone lines where Georgina joins me? Uh, good afternoon to you, Georgina. Hello, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're very welcome to the programme and uh, thank you for reaching out to us because we spoke about your husband la- late last year. He was involved in an accident and he needed the air ambulance, wasn't it? He did, yeah. He, he was pulled into one of the machines at work when he was at Cronin's. And it wasn't anybody's fault. There is an element of danger in his job anyway. And it was a freak accident. And he was very, very badly injured. And he had his arm ripped off. And his lung punctured. And it led to him having quite a severe stroke. And my goodness. Uh, he's, um, you know, there's a couple of reasons for my call. One of them is, first and foremost, on the back of that, to say he, he is fine in his head. He has various medical problems, a bit of paralysis, some aphasia, but he is working his way back and he will kind of be back with us. Okay. And he's fine and, you know, he'll, he'll be home. Um, he's, has he, so, so okay, this happened in, was it October it happened? It was the, it was the 15th of November. 15th and of November. We talking to the guy on the 16th about the air ambulance, he, you know, he mentioned the accident that had happened. Yeah, yeah, this was and, James um, O'Sullivan and they were doing a fundraiser for, for the air ambulance at the time. So the 15th of November, has he been in hospital since? Yes. He hasn't come home at all? Nope. And wh- wh- what hospital is he currently in? He's in CUH. Sorry, he CUH. in intensive care for about five weeks. For the first couple of weeks, we didn't even know if he'd survive. Um, and then he's been moved onto the stroke ward. And I have to say, without exception, the paramedics, the ambulance staff, the A&E staff, the support staff, everyone from the consultants to the cleaners that have been involved with him are superb. And huge thanks to them. And also massive thanks to the community in Balangiri, lots of people in Demandway, the other guys at Cronin's, and to MICC, the school, for the support that they've given the children as well. They have been insanely good. But for you, life is very different. I take it you're constantly up and down the road, are you, to see Thomas? I, my my daily routine is get up in the morning, sort out all the animals, because we've got 
um, we live up by the windmills in Balangiri, and okay. we've got approaching 20 animals, the majority of whom are rescued. And our life was not obviously set up around having one of the adults out of the picture. So I get up, I sort out all the animals and walk the dogs and bits and pieces, and then I take the children down to school in the Manway, and then I go through to the hospital, where I've been, you know, I am at the moment. I help with these therapies all morning, because they like me to be as involved as possible, so I'm here to sort in to help him sort of psychologically. I'm often involved in what they're doing. And then, you know, I give him things like I'll sit and give him his lunch because he's got no arm on one side and paralysis down the other at the moment. Oh, goodness. He's learning, he's just, just learning to walk again, but his right arm is still very compromised and he doesn't have one on the left. So, you know, he needs help with everything. And, um, and the long-term goal is he will come home. He will come home. Yeah. He will definitely come home. I've been um, liaising with the um, BNRH, the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dublin, this morning. Okay. About getting him up there to fit in with a robotic prosthetic. Oh, fantastic. And would um, that happen before he comes home or that would be afterwards? Uh, not sure. Not you know, sure. We, we, this is, they'll keep him in hospital as long as they think that he can, they can give him things to improve. Okay. Okay, he's but not you're medical. He's out of danger. Yeah. But as long as the rehabilitation facilities are of use and he's constructively improving, which he is at an incredible rate for somebody that they didn't even know if he'd ever get conscious again. And you can see the improvement, Georgina. Oh, definitely, absolutely. For the yeah. first sort of four or five weeks after the accident, he couldn't make a sound. He couldn't move. Now I've just been helping them by recording. I'm holding the sort of the tablet, and they're helping record how he's walking. And, you, so and, and he is, he is starting, and to, he's starting to walk on his own, unaided. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And obviously he, he would need to be walking unaided before they'd even consider sending him home, is it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah he'd have to be walking unaided before I could cope with him at home because yeah. I, I haven't got the hoists and things that they have here when people are really poorly. And you have two teenage children. It's tough on them, Georgina. It's very difficult. It's very, very difficult. It's, you know, they, they've been through you know, thinking that they were going to lose their dad and then coming to terms with the fact that while he is very much still himself in his head, the packaging has obviously permanently changed. And it was very frightening for them at first to see a man who was six foot two and strong as an ox sat down with a bit of muscle wastage, much looking much smaller and much more frail and unable to do anything for himself and unable to communicate. He's got what's called aphasia. His head is fine, but his, uh, the neurons between his brain and his throat have been compromised. So sometimes he can get the words out he wants to and sometimes he can't. And that's very frustrating. It drives him up the wall, but yeah. it makes it very difficult. It's, it's improving, but it was very difficult for anybody to... Um, it, it's very difficult sometimes for people to understand what he's, he's saying. trying to say to Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And he After knows 20 years of marriage, I stand more chance than anybody else does. I know, else, I know. Yeah. And, he, and he knows the words he wants to say, but it's to, it's to, it's to try and, yeah, it's to it's, try and it's get Yeah, it's literally getting, it's, it's the brain connections to get his throat to do it. Okay, so you, so your message is to, is, as, as you said, you've thanked everyone who has helped and the kindness the, the, of... The, 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 first, the first part of it is two things. Well, I've, it's a phone call I've been meaning to make, but the first, the first thing is, is, is the massive thank you to everybody, medical staff, police, the community, the school, the, everybody that has helped and supported and kept him alive and kept us going. Because generally speaking, the population 
in here in West Cork in many capacities have been just mind-blowingly amazing. They've, you know, helped me with the horses, they've given me forage for the animals, they've provided meals for us when we were in the acute phase. I, people just turned up with takeaway containers for us, filled with lasagnas and stews, and the school has been amazing with the children and the medical staff, you know, and the, you know all the staff from consultants to sort of cleaners at the hospital have been mind-blowing. And people are great, and, and the kindness of the community and is, is, is incredible. But there's a second part to your call, and there I suppose a, second... a message to people to try and be kind and you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. It is. It Tell was, me what was, happened. It was a really unfortunate situation this morning. I'd got the kids down to school and I stopped off for petrol and I had a bag of recycling of clothing in my bag and I was in the manway and I tried the recycling bank at the petrol station there and it was full. So I drove round to the one at Aldi and it was also full. I mean, jammed, you couldn't get another thing in it. So I just put, and this is a sealed bag of clothing in a bag, as people often end up doing. I put the bag by the bottom of the recycling bank and I went to go away. And a woman stopped me and said, you shouldn't leave that there, it'll get wet and dirty. You take that with you. You know, the the, the gist of what she was saying, I can't remember the exact words, was she was accusing me of not caring and of being irresponsible. And I said, it's fine, everywhere's full. I've got to get to the hospital. My husband's in hospital. This is an ongoing situation. I, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. I haven't got time for this, which I genuinely didn't have. Mm. And she said, well, you're not doing the right thing, are you? And she just sort of walked away with her head in the air and got in her car. And, you know, it, it was like I was some sort of a criminal for leaving. Now, I understand that leaving a bag of recycling there isn't ideal. But I am a person in a very pushed situation who is running up and down to the hospital every day. I'm driving approximately five hours a day one way or another in a Toyota Yaris that's ancient because it runs on fresh air rather than the Hilux that we have for the farm, for the forage, because obviously that's very unenvironmentally friendly and very expensive to run, and I use it when I have to. So I've pinched my son's Yaris. By the end of the day, I'll have a load of shopping and two children in it. I haven't got room for a sack of clothing in it and I haven't got time to drive around and find recycling bins that aren't full so please is it Cork County Council or whoever you are please would you empty the recycling bins in West Cork Yeah, and, because and as often as not they're, they're, they're stuffed to the gunnels yeah and yeah. to the you know to people and I like know, that lady, uh, yeah I know that is always the message yeah you know, I, I, yeah, but don't I, comment from a place of moral judgment. Comment from one of help. Because if somebody said to me, I can honestly say, if somebody said that to me in a situation, I would have said, well, shove it here. I'll, I'll, I'll stick it in the car and hand it in at the charity shop or something. Yeah. If I'd had the time to wait until 10 o'clock till the charity shop opened, I would have done it. I know that wasn't an ideal solution to the situation, but it was the option left to me at the time. Yeah, and I know we're all told don't leave your bags behind and, and, and all of that. But when you explained to the woman the predicament you were in, the kindest thing for her to have done would have been, as you suggested, offered to help. If she was, Yeah, if she was genuinely yeah. concerned, she could have offered to help or she could have just taken as much, you know, those, those clothing banks have often got bags there. And I know that it's not ideal, but as I said to you, the, the guy that answered the phone to me earlier, in West Cork, as often as I manage to do my recycling, unless I go to the household waste site where it costs something like 15 euros to take the car in, I end up taking it home. 
bottles and cans and everything else because they're spilling out all over the place. Yes, there is, that can be a problem with certain recycling bins. They just don't get emptied quick enough. No, they don't. And, they don't. and they need to be emptied quick enough in order to, because we're all being told, circular economy, we're all being told to recycle and, and to do our bit. And in order to do that, they need to make it as easy as possible uh, for people. Yes, they do. Anyway, they do. It, were you upset by it, Georgina? I, would, I, would, I was, it always frustrates me and makes me a bit angry when people come at a situation from a point, you know, with the best of intentions, she's not behaved with compassion. She's behaved with moral judgment, even in the face of being told briefly what was going on in my life, you know, she couldn't back down and say, oh, goodness, I'm sorry, that's not right. Let me help you. It was, you know, and I thought, no. I d-. But I thought, you know, I've got a choice. I can either raise this whole situation, the entirety of it, and point out that this is one bad apple and thank everybody who's been amazing to me okay. and say, come on, empty the recycling bins. OK, well done. Well done. Listen, look after yourself and uh, pass on our best wishes to Thomas. And will you keep in contact with us? I'd love to hear how he's getting on. And uh, particularly when that wonderful couple of months. Yeah. When that wonderful time comes, when you finally get uh, to get him home. But thank you for making the call today. Thank you very much for having me. OK, bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Georgina. And I know people will say, oh, you can't leave items outside of a recycling bin. But in a situation like that, where she explained to the woman the pressure uh, she was under, can, you know, can we just not all be a little bit kind to each other and maybe help somebody out who finds themselves in a situation like that? It wasn't that she was bringing bags of rubbish from her home and was, you know, fly tipping. She just was under a lot of pressure and needed to offload the bag of clothes that you wanted to pass on to into one of the charity bins. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie the Pike Theatre Group in Balancolic. They're holding their monthly screeacts tonight in Balancolic Rugby Club. Starts at half past eight. A great night of music, song and dance. Usual cup out and sandwiches and a raffle also uh, tonight. Bingo's on in Sham Valley. More tonight at eight with a jackpot of 1,150. And as we mentioned earlier, the AGM of the Killali and Ballinrush Group Water Scheme in Kilworth will be held tonight. That's in Heafy Grove Meeting Room with an eight o'clock uh, start. Inascara Historical Society will host guest speaker Richard Forrest speaking on Modest Martin, the history of a local mid-Cork river. It's on tomorrow Wednesday, Dripsy National School, 8 o'clock start. Non-members are very welcome and uh, the admission is just €3. Euro. And health checks will be available at Mallow Co-op Superstore on the Park Road in Mallow tomorrow from 10am to 12 midday. The HSC Community Health Worker will be along with a community diabetes nurse and two public health nurses on site to help and advise on any health concerns you may have. They're especially encouraged men to go along and avail of the services, but everyone is more than welcome. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. 
Cork today at c103.ie. And just to go through some of your texts and calls that have been coming in, a lot coming in, we'll do our best to get through as many of them as possible. But firstly, I just want to pick up on somebody who sent us in a photograph of a road sign and uh, wondering, could we bring it up with Cork County Council? A listener says, I've been driving home for the last month from Mallow, heading out the Mill Street Road, when I've noticed a road sign for the Green Glens Arena was uh, changed. Uh, the spelling, there is a very noticeable spelling error. Surely somebody on the council must have noticed the misspelling before it went up. I imagine the ones who were replacing it surely noticed it. And it's one of those big road signs. It's got the two white signs on the top. One saying Mill Street, the R583. And then underneath is McCroom on the R, uh, the R582. And then underneath that are the two brown signs. You know, the brown signs will point out places of interest and tourist attractions, for, ex- for example. And in both Irish and English, it's, it's Mill Street Country Park. And then underneath it, in both Irish and English, it's got the Green Glens Arena. Except arena on this sign is spelt A-R-E-A-N. So it's now the Green Glens Arran. When did the Green Glens Arena change its name to the Green Glens Arran? Somebody must have noticed that when that sign uh, went up. Anyway, we're going to get on to the council just to draw their attention to it and to see has anybody else drawn their attention to it and are they aware of it? Has other spotted that on the road heading out of Mallow, heading towards at Mill Street, uh, 0818103103. OK, lots of other texts coming in. Hi, Patricia. This is Georgina uh, talking to us about her husband, what she's been going through in her, with her husband and then what happened to her this morning when she was trying to do her bit of um, recycling of clothes. Hi, Patricia. I can absolutely identify with Georgina in a, in a word that people preach the word be kind. People are very quick to pass judgment on a person without knowing what they are going through. Please don't read out my name as I have enough hate and judgment to last me a lifetime these past few months. Oh God, I'm sorry to hear that you're, you're, you're going through that in the last few months. But yeah, and that's the point is you never know, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. You never know what's going on in somebody's life. But I think what, what really got to me with Georgina's story was she said to the woman, she explained, I'm rushing to the hospital. I've tried the other uh, bin. The other bin is full as well. And, you know, and that was an opportunity for somebody to see someone struggling and saying, look, I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, Heidi, Patricia, you're on about car insurance again. Oh no, not car insurance. Do these companies take notice of what has been told they must do? Once again, it's the poor old motorists yet again that treat car drivers as if we have never ending pockets. We always seem to be the cash cow. Hi Patricia, I paid €330 Euro fully comprehensive and I can drive anyone's car. Tell other people that they really do need to shop around. This is with Electric Ireland and says Patricia I got my Electric Ireland bill and the 200 euro credit this is the last credit that's coming from the government is in there that was even taxed it's, it feels to me like they're giving in one hand and they're taking it back with another says um, Hi Patricia on road tolls back in the 70s and 80s people could drive uh, freely in this uh, country next they started to build these motorways and now we have to pay to drive into any of our cities and towns I feel that in itself is a scam we 
did our, where did our freedom go? It's all gone. But I know I have and I never will drive on a motorway because I refuse to pay those tolls. I've gone on the country roads every time I want to go anywhere. The government are scamming people. Maybe Eamon Ryan should look at this and get rid of the tolled roads. It'll be better for smaller towns as it will ease traffic in many of the small towns. And you're with the cost of living crisis as well, you're certainly not on your own. You're going to see a lot more people doing everything that they can to try to save money and if it means saving on road tolls they will and it will put you're right it will put extra traffic into other small towns and villages that were bypassed with the motorways which will be a real real uh, shame and hi Patricia unfortunately Mill Street Country Park is uh, closed it is yeah it, it is and has been for a few a uh, few years now which is really unfortunate yeah it was a place I used to love to visit it's a, a gorgeous gorgeous uh, place but the sign is still up there for Mill Street uh, Country Park uh, oh what else is in I'm just trying to get through as many of your texts as I can this was on the dodgy boxes that we spoke about and there's going to be a clamp down on them Hi Patricia I had to give up watching Sky Sports and many of the other satellite channels why simply too expensive but we have to bear in mind the reason why services and streaming services like Sky Sports is so expensive is because we pay mind blowing wages of the Premier League players some players can earn more in one week than Mossy said I be able to earn in 10 years at my current rate. There is a reason why the channels are so expensive. Also, local soccer, GAA rugby is way more entertaining and it's way more genuine. And that's one of the points, in fairness, that Rob, our expert, made, made and said, get off the couch and go out, go out and support a local match uh, instead. Martina in McCroom is looking for help, please. She has a Sanyo VHS and DVD recorder. Still working, but the remote has stopped working. Does anyone have a spare one that maybe they're not using? Could be somewhere in the house. You know that drawer that you throw the old remotes into? It's for both a VHS and a DVD Sanyo player. And the make and number on the back was B or is B100E. Does that ring a bell with anyone? A VHS DVD Sanyo make player. If you have one of those, would you ever happen to have, still have the remote no longer using it. It's a real long shot from Martina McCroom and we have all of her details. 0818 103 103. 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. And just a very quick one before we go to uh, Joe Heffeninger in Newmarket has been on. His son applied for a passport. It was a first passport so it was manually sent in. Uh, they applied at the end of uh, January and then almost a month later the 26th of February they came back and said guess what the picture isn't correct so they had to resubmit another picture and they're now being told that the son's passport won't be ready until the 31st of March the problem is they're flying out to a match this weekend uh, they're flying with Ryanair and Jared is wondering can you get on a Ryanair flight without a valid passport to Scotland my gut instinct tells me no because it's Ryanair um, but what I would suggest you do you're going to need to contact contact Ryanair and ask them but in the meantime we'll give it out and see has anybody recently travelled on a Ryanair flight without a passport? I know for sure they don't accept a driver's licence, but is there any fo- other form of identification, bearing in mind that it's a flight between Ireland and Scotland? But then that's deemed outside the EU 
now, isn't it? But it's in the Schengen area. Anyway, um, I'm raw mating now. Anyway, if anybody can help, but Jared, in the meantime, I would be getting on straight away to Ryanair uh, to see. Now, I know you might have difficulty getting on to them, but I always find with Ryanair, if you tweet them, they're usually good, they're usually good to get back and answer uh, tweets. But has anybody travelled on a Ryanair flight without a passport? Was any other form of ID, uh, was that used instead? Joe Heffernan uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. You're very welcome. Now, we spoke last Last week about the psychotherapy and psychotherapists and the different type. And we were in particular talking about, by the way, I watched that primetime programme. I was quite shocked uh, with Mm. what happened uh, on it Mm. and how easy it was to set up as a a psychotherapist. Yeah. It was incredible, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Frightening. Frightening. And then I was talking about the IACP, the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy, who do extreme vetting before one is accredited. As I was saying, they can be a pain at times because, um, you know, you have to jump through so many hoops and, um, you know, you have to get your certification from a recognised course, recognised college, my own being UCC. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of hoops to be jumped through before you're accredited. So when you go onto the IACP site, I was saying, you're going to find a big list of accredited supervisors with their geographic location. So you're more than likely going to find someone fairly near you. But uh, I got one or two calls in with people saying, like, okay, and after that, then how does one make an appointment? Well, in my own case, I mean, people just ring me and we make an appointment and they come and uh, it's uh, it's as straightforward as that. Um, sometimes um, I would get um, uh, referrals from GPs, um, and uh, but they would tell the client, their patient, the same thing, uh, to give me a ring. And we yeah, and I an know, I, and I also know word of mouth. Is, oh, is great. If, if somebody has attended a counsellor, is that a family member attend a counsellor, you know, people will. I mean, I, I certainly have referred people uh, to you, Joe, and, and I know that people who've attended you have referred other people to you as well. So word of mouth is great as well. It's, it's, uh, it's to ask around. But so when somebody goes along then, I mean, for somebody who's never been to counselling before, yeah. you know, people wonder, oh God, what, 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 you know, what do you expect? I mean, I think people have this image of, am I going to be lying on a couch in a darkened room telling, telling all yeah. my stories to some yeah. complete stranger? There is this, you talk about three core conditions of counselling. Yeah, the three core conditions of counselling are, um, according to Carl Rogers, the, you know, the person-centred uh, counselling, uh, whatever the um, uh, different theories of counselling, Gestalt, CBT, whatever, the three core conditions would be empathy, congruence, and unconditional positive regard. Now, um, let me say a few words about each one. Okay. The first one, empathy. Right. So the counsellor tries to understand the thoughts and especially the feelings as the client experiences them. Um, like a regular, a regular question in a counselling session would be, uh, how do you feel about that? And then maybe um, feelings would get named, like anger or uh, uh, joy or um, uh, sadness, uh, you know. Mm. So 
um, it's it's a, a bit like walking in someone else's shoes. You are there with the person very much with the person, and um, uh, the issues that arise are explored. I suppose is a good way to put it. Um, and you know, it isn't like people in the counselling profession uh, have the answers uh, as such. I mean, um, there wouldn't be advice now on that, and um, answers wouldn't be the the way, really. It would be more um, exploring uh, what's happening for uh, for the client. Now, there would be obvious places where, I mean... Um, suggestions would be uh, quite clear. Like, for example, if a person came with um, a clear, um, uh, say, uh, alcohol problem, well, then, uh, you know, the the suggestion would be to stop drinking alcohol. Yeah. And, um, and the, the different uh, methods and ways of going about that. But um, generally speaking, um, it isn't a kind of... Um, an advisory or, or uh, having all the answers uh, thing, more an exploration thing. More, um, it's, it's, because, a, it's a listen. Hmm? It's a listening, and for and almost at times for the person. I, I I take it generally speaking, people know the answer, but it's just to get somebody to help them find it. Absolutely, absolutely, and somewhere to share, um, in a confidential setting, uh, you know, issues that they would not casually. Um, discuss uh, outside of such a setting. Mm. Um, it, you know, it, it wouldn't be, um, it, the issues wouldn't be possibly, even probably shared uh, casually with friends. Yeah. Um, maybe even with other family members. It, 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 um, the, uh, the confidentiality would be very, very big. Now, of course, I won't go into it, but just to mention very quickly that, for example, in cases of, um, uh, say, um, historical childhood sexual abuse, well, uh, you make it clear to the client that if a perpetrator of such a thing is uh, named, uh, identifiable, well, then um, uh, counselling counsellors now are um, uh, there is mandatory reporting. In other words, you're breaking the law if you don't, don't report it. Yeah. But if a person wants to speak in general about an event that happened and doesn't wish to name anyone, identify anyone, uh, just to uh, express their feelings and about it, well then, that, that's fine too. Okay, uh, so to that's, that, that covers empathy. And then the second core um, condition is? Congruence. Now, um, congruence means that the, the the person the the counselor in 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 the situation is genuine and real one has to be absolutely genuine and real um it's not like um uh, one puts on their counseling hat and um uh, and keeps uh, you know uh, dipping into their uh, strategies and um uh, tools of coping with uh, this or that, uh, our theory of counselling, it's just to be real because it's, it's, a, it's two heads are better than one. Mm. And um, so, and, and I think um, 
anyone uh, worth his or her salt in in the counselling uh, area uh, would be absolutely genuine and real. Um, and that's so important because it allows the client uh, to trust the relationship. I think people know at gut level when someone is genuine with them. And um, so a trusting relationship with the counsellor um, builds up. And um, I think whatever about the, we'll call it the tricks of the trade, the, the different um, strategies that one might use in a given situation, that the relationship is nearly, well, is uh, number one. Um, you know, uh, you, you'd have people who might go to someone and, um, you know, the person would be would be genuine, but it just doesn't work for that particular client. And they may indeed um, move on to someone else. And that's fine. Um, you know, the, 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 the whole objective is that the person uh, benefits uh, from the experience. But um, so congruence, um, the the trusting um, real relationship is um, is vital, um, and 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 that can um, uh, engender in the client as well. You know uh, that they know that they are being respected. They know they they know that um, uh, that the person um, sees their worth as a person, whereas it might have been their experience in the outside world that that maybe wasn't there. Um, in other words, we'd be talking about maybe self-esteem um, and uh, a person, you know, recognizing that they are being respected and expecting to be respected. So that would be very important. So congruence would be, um, you know, an antidote uh, to maybe negative messages that the person is giving about him or herself um, uh, to, 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 to counteract that. So okay, war- and someone, someone is saying it, it, that um, if you, when this is somebody on a medical card uh, says if you go and obviously it's the HSE appoints a counsellor, you end up seeing different people all the time. There's no chance of getting comfortable with them. I'm assuming what you're talking about is you, you go to the same counsellor wherever it is, every week, every fortnight, every month. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's building up that because, relationship. Um, you couldn't build up a relationship if every time that you went to the venue, you have to tell there the was story. a different person sitting yeah, opposite you. Yeah, mm. yeah. Mm. And then unconditional positive regard. Yeah. Um, unconditional positive regard. Um, uh, this is what allows the client to open up and speak about their difficulties without fear of being either criticised are judged. Um, like it wouldn't be uh, anything like, um, you know, and why did you do that? That kind of sounds like that um, That wasn't a very wise thing to do. And you would never, ever, with a competent person, hear the likes of that. Um, so uh, the, the, the main thing about unconditional positive regard is that there is no judgmental or critical um, uh, statements or attitudes taken. And that's, that's the key, isn't it? That you're not being judged. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And some people are very hard on themselves mm. and um, judge themselves very harshly. 
you'd often say to a person, if it was your good friend, what would you say to them? And that would usually be a lot kinder than what they are saying maybe to themselves. So, you know, you you would say, you know, um, how would it be to say that uh, to yourself? And the person would come back with, well, you know, uh, I haven't been doing that or whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and it's it's just it's building up that relationship. Okay. All right, Joe. We'll leave it there. Thank you for that. Welcome, Patricia. And have a wonderful St Patrick's weekend. Thank you very much. <laughs> and we will chat again uh, next Tuesday. Thanks for that, Joe. Okay, that bye. Is, uh, bye-bye. Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in uh, Bohabwee. His number is 0868348145. 0868348145. Let me look at the clock. Do I have a couple of minutes? I do. Uh, before we've got to go to the ad break and news at one. Here's one for our listener. Who was the listener? Let me just very quickly go back there. Who, Jared in Newmarket, who has the problem with his son applied for a passport and there's been a delay with the passport. They're flying this weekend to a match in Scotland. Can he travel with Ryanair without a passport? And I, now I still say contact Ryanair just to be sure, to be sure. But you'll take a bit of hope from this. This is one of our overseas listeners saying, Patricia, I travelled with Ryanair in November. Now it was travelling out of England. There was a girl who had applied similar to Jared's son, to renew her passport but hadn't received it back in time. But she showed the girl at the boarding gate the paperwork that showed she had applied for the licence, applied for the passport and she was allowed to board the plane. Um, That might help. uh, Good luck to the listener. Uh, Listen, it is worth a try but I certainly wouldn't be check it out with check it out with Ryanair first before you arrive at the airport. But certainly it has worked for somebody there, uh, which is uh, terrific. And uh, hi, uh, Patricia, listening to Georgina and her plight and what happened to her this morning when she went to try to drop off her clothes at the clothing bank and then to have somebody have a go at her with everything that's going on in her her life. Um, That was a lesson in uh, life and a lot of people feeling so, so sorry for Georgina and what she had to go through. So, yeah, it was really, really unfortunate. And then John says, Patricia, everybody knows you need a passport to enter a foreign country, uh, except our government. They're allowing people in here without the proper paperwork. That's from uh, John. OK, that's where I have to leave you for today. A reminder to you that tomorrow morning, if you're around Ballincollig, particularly around the Garda station, there is a special coffee morning going on. Kicks off at half past ten tomorrow morning and it's on until one o'clock. It's in aid of motor neuron disease and also proceeds will go to the Field of Dreams, which is that uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful setup that's organised by the Cork Down Syndrome Association and that is happening tomorrow morning. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing and we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions, including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.